and we're back for episode nine top waffler top waffler podcast on instagram on spotify on apple podcasts and yeah i really need to get better at these intros but yeah okay so hopefully like you guys enjoyed last week's episode we had um it was lots of fun recording it and hopefully in the near future should be more episodes like that fortunately this week you're stuck with just my boring voice so if that's not what you're looking forward to stay tuned anyways and give me that retention the listener retention to up my spotify stats um but yeah we'll include um timestamps as well today and i'll go through a rundown of uh what topics are going to be talking about and i will make sure to include timestamps in the description uh i'm like 95 percent sure i'll be able to do that so hopefully that works out um we'll go through so this is being recorded on the 20th of october um so the champions league has already started i meant to record this yesterday so i could get my predictions in before match day one but um a bit late so whatever but i i did have my predictions written down and i won't change them even though matches have been played so we'll go through that and then um recap a little bit of what happened um in the premier league on past weekend and then it'll be a very um i, I don't know if in depth but it'll, we'll go into the calgary flames and stuff so general rundown for today is a champions league talk premier league manchester united and then the calgary flames and like a little bit on free agency as a whole but probably not too much uh, i gotta maintain some topics for coming weeks because i'm running out of ideas and i'm only nine episodes in so that's not good but <laughs> um yeah let's get into it so champions league started today um i'm gonna quickly go through and talk about my predictions from each group so i have from group a uh relatively straightforward i have Bayern and atletico madrid going through to the knockout rounds i mean quite simple there there's no real reason why you wouldn't really take those teams um bear with me a second i'm just trying to get the groups out on front of me here so i could uh just talk about the other teams in that group so uh but i know group a doesn't have and besides those two there's no other yeah okay so red bull salzburg and locomotive moscow i don't really see them challenging in that group maybe salzburg can steal a couple of points off of either of them but munich and uh atletico should go through in that group in Group B, so it's Group B has Real Madrid, Shakhtar Donetsk, Inter Milan, and Borussia Mönchengladbach. Um, so I have Inter Milan winning the group. Um, might be a bit surprising, might not be, depending how you view them compared to Real Madrid. I do have Real Madrid advancing out of the group stage, though, and being the second team to go through. I don't think. I think Inter is better than Shakhtar and Mönchengladbach, and obviously Madrid is as well, but I think Inter can really pull off uh, and I don't know if you consider it a big upset, but a bit of an upset to take the first spot from Real Madrid in Group B. Group C, Man City as normal. The fucking idiots get an easy-ass draw. Um, So they should top the group easily there. They should win that. Um, For second place, it's between Porto, Olympiacos, and Marseille as the other three teams. And I'm going to go with Olympiacos. This is a pure guess. There's no logic behind this. I'm just going to say Olympiacos. I have a one in three shot of getting it right. So we'll stick with that. Um, Group D consists of Liverpool, Ajax, Atalanta, and Matijaland. That's the team from Denmark. Um, So obviously Liverpool's out without Virgil van Dijk for the foreseeable future. Not sure how long Alisson's injured for, but I'd 
I did my predictions before the Van Dyke injury, so I'm gonna I'm gonna stick by and have them winning the group. And even with the injury, I still think they have enough talent compared to the other teams in their group to to advance in first place. Um, in second place, I think it's a battle between Ajax and Atalanta, and I'm gonna go with the semifinalists from last year. Atalanta they play like a really fluid offensive style of football, and I, I think. that will be enough to get them through to the knockouts and you never know maybe if they get a favorable draw in the knockouts they can make another run deeper into the competition um yeah so where are we now group e group e can so these are teams that played today uh a 1-1 draw between krasnador and ren and a one a nil-nil draw between sevilla and chelsea so my predictions initially as well were sevilla topping the group and chelsea coming second I think those two teams go through regardless. Um, however, maybe other people will have Chelsea on top and Sevilla in second place. But I feel like the Europa League winners have the upper edge on Chelsea and Chelsea's defense and keeping. Well, keeping might be better now with the signing of Mendy, but their defense is still really suspect as seen by the 3-3 draw with Southampton over the weekend. So I would say... Sevilla first and Chelsea advancing in second place. Um, Group F is Lazio, Club Bruges, uh, Zenit, and Dortmund. So obviously Dortmund lost today, but I had them topping the group and I had Lazio in second place. And I will stick by that. I think Dortmund will recover and still advance out of the into the group stage and they'll advance as the, the number one seed from that group. Uh, group G, Barca, Juventus, Dinamo Kiev. And the team from Hungary, I don't know how to say it, but I think it's Ferencveros or something like that. They got slapped 5-1 by Barcelona today. And um, Kiev lost to Juventus 2-0. So, like, Juventus and Barcelona are the easy picks. And those are the picks I'm going to go with. Um, So, I would say Juventus win the group because I think they're stronger than Barcelona. But... um, yeah, Barcelona's going through like a bit of a crisis, obviously with the selling of Suarez, Messi wanting to leave in the summer, all that nonsense, blah, blah, blah. This this match, this uh, group does give us another matchup, hopefully. Hopefully one, if not two matchups of Ronaldo and Messi. But with Ronaldo being um, with COVID, I don't know if that would be doable or not. So I don't know if because they play each other next week on the 28th and I don't know how that would work out if he's going to be done his um, self, if he's going to be done his um, self-isolation or not, but I hope so. So we get two more at least um, matches between those two greats. Um, So I would say uh, Barca coming in second and Juventus in first simply because I think Juventus is a much better team. and But Barca will still get through into the knockout rounds. And um, yeah, so that brings us into Group H, the group with my favorite team, Manchester United. So obviously, a few uh, followed United will beat <clears throat> sorry, beat PSG fucking voice cracks, man. Uh, beat PSG 2-1 today. Uh, is a well-deserved win. They were the better team, in my opinion. United was PSG's midfield is just horrifically bad. Like, the, the, for as good as their attack is, their midfield was just 
outplayed by United's midfield today, and that's and the Paul Pogba substitution in the 67th minute by Ole was a really good move. Uh, it kind of shifted momentum after PSG had tied it back into United's hands, and it honestly should have been about four, four, two, five, three type scoreline. Like De Gea made some really good saves. Keeler Napas made some really good saves. Rashford and Bruno both should have shot it instead when they tried to play Martial through. So it was a good game, but and um, United won two one, and it was deservedly so based on how they played. However, I I've gone for a weird prediction here. I'm gonna say Leipzig win the group. I really like what Leipzig, the way Leipzig play, and I think um, I think they can win the group and really surprise people here. They're a really underrated team, and in second place, like unfortunately, and this was made obviously when United were in bad form. I'd love to see them go through, and uh, hopefully if they're playing with in good form, they do go through. But I'm going to have to say second place PSG. And that's simply because w- with the way United play, sometimes it's just it's very turbulent. The highs are very high. The lows are very low. And getting put into a tough group, arguably the group of death this year, like in the in the Champions League, because I haven't even touched on Istanbul, ba- Baskashir is the... I think they were the Turkish champions last year, and they're going to be... Like, they're not going to be an easy easy game either they're going to be a tough game as well and I think it's just unfortunate but this is what you want in the Champions League when you're drawn in the Champions League you want to be put into a group of death you want to play the best teams in Europe you don't want to be like Man City who gets those easy easy week draws just to get to the quarterfinals and get knocked out you want to you want to test yourself and you want to have these games against upper echelon holy shit man voice cracks if you want to have these games against upper echelon teams in Europe and um, that's what we're going to get with Leipzig and PSG so obviously Leipzig now next Wednesday uh, they come visit Old Trafford so maybe I'll be a little bit more optimistic about United's chances approaching that after after that game uh, of approaching the knockout stages but for now I'm going to say Leipzig will win the group and PSG will come second meaning United will finish third and go to the Europa League. But I hope I hope we find a way to make it through because there's nothing better than Champions League football then. And another voice crack, so let me get a sip of water to recover. Okay, so a bit more hydrated, so hopefully no more voice cracks, but you never know with me. So, yeah, that's some Champions League predictions. So just quick run through again from Group H, Leipzig topping the group with PSG in second. Uh, group G, Juventus topping the group with Barcelona in second. Group F, Dortmund topping the group with Lazio in second. Group E, Sevilla topping the group with Chelsea in second. Uh, group D, Liverpool talking the, topping the group with Atalanta in second. Uh, group C, City topped the group with Olympiacos in second. Group B, Inter Milan topped the group with Real Madrid in second. And Group A, Bayern Munich topped the group with Atletico Madrid in second. And when the time comes in February, <clears throat> when the time comes in February, we'll do a knockout round prediction and that stuff. Uh, I would go through the Europa League, but there's simply too many groups. And since United's not in the Europa League this year, I really can't be asked to go through it. So we're going to skip that. Instead, we'll talk just a bit about United and their, just, their change of form and uh, the past two games, so obviously uh, against Newcastle, I wasn't able to watch the game on the weekend, but I did catch highlights and and uh, from reading like the Reddit match threads and everything, it seemed like uh, we didn't play bad. We played pretty well, although we had an unlucky own goal to go behind really early on in the game. The boys battled and they fought back and Bruno scored the first one. No, Harry, Harry Maguire scored the first one. That's good for him, uh, especially with all the shit he's been going through 
dating back to summer, so that's really good. Um, then I think it was Bruno missed a penalty, but we kept on playing. We kept on pushing until who scored? I think Bruno scored. I think it was Bruno and then Rashford. or Yeah, Bruno scored that absolute really, really good goal coming down the left side and putting it top right corner. Uh, then it was Juan Basaka, who <laughs> God knows how he hit that ball like that. But uh, good for him, his first goal in his 50th professional appearance for United, I think it was, or just in the Premier League in general. I think it was for United. But um, I'm not 100% sure on that, but it was a 50 milestone for him in some aspect. And then Rashford scoring, and I think it was the fourth or sixth minute of added time just to put a little more of an exclamation mark on the win. It's a really good result, and it's set up it sets up going into an absolutely crucial list of fixtures. I talked about it a couple of weeks ago when I was complaining and bitching about the 6-1 loss. Um, So obviously Newcastle was away and then obviously PSG away, which was today. And the momentum just carried over because it played really well. I mean, for the first 10 or so minutes, you can argue PSG was doing quite well on the attack. And then after about the, the penalty really they really like lost their heads for the rest of the first half and I'd say United played better and then in the second half as well they were the PSG came out and played really well they got the tying goal off the own goal by Anthony Martial and then I'd say the Paul Pogba substitution really shifted things back into United's favor as I already talked about PSG's midfield's very weak and Paul Pogba coming into the midfield and United going into a diamond with him Bruno Fred and uh McSauce McTominay really like controlled the game for them and there are a couple of opportunities and I don't remember when <clears throat> when exactly they happened but the Rashford one was before the 1-1 one, one, one goal where he should have continued driving in but he tried to square it too early the Bruno opportunity where he squared it but it was blocked and then Rashford's shot got saved that was like I think right after the Paul Pogba substitution or something or about 79th made it 79th minute and then 87th minute, uh, Fred plays the ball into Pogba. Pogba plays it into Rashford. Rashford turns, gets a good good step ahead of the defender and fires it off the left post and in. Beautiful finish. And there's just something about Rashford playing in Paris, man. There's just something about Rashford playing in Paris and scoring a winning goal late. And another voice cracks. So let me get some more water here. But, uh, but uh, yeah, so Rashford getting, getting the winner. Much deserved for United and... Hopefully this leads on to a good run of form and a good carrying of momentum <clears throat> to the weekend against Chelsea because it's Chelsea at home, then Leipzig at home midweek again in the Champions League, and then November 1st, the Sunday, Arsenal at home as well. And then I think there's another Champions League fixture that week. Yeah, November the 4th, we travel to Istanbul to play Baskashir there. And then coming back to the Prem the weekend of November 8th for uh, Everton. Everton away, and Everton's in great form right now. So a vital run of fixtures, and to start it off with two wins is really good. So hopefully the momentum keeps carrying forward. Um, I think that's – yeah, that's pretty much uh, the positives. They're United playing really well, and – you know, they keep on, hopefully they keep on pushing forward. Yeah, and uh, Alex Teas had a really good debut. His crosses from the left-hand side were really good, especially from the corners as well. The back three formation, Lindelof and Twanzebe played really well, as, as well did Luke Shaw. And um, Fred and McTominay really bossed the midfield, and Pogba coming on as well and 
his insertion in there really helped out as well. Bruno as captain was was tremendous and he should be captain ahead of Maguire. But like that's not shitting on Maguire. That's just saying Bruno's more of a of a natural leader, I'd say. And uh Martial didn't have his best game. He did win the penalty, but he's been lacking since the start of the season and hopefully he starts turning around and actually scores a couple of goals. You know, it's been it's been a while now. And uh Rashford didn't have the best game, but the the late winner kind of makes up for it. Uh, of note on the subs bench, Van de Beek and James came on, but they came on late and Pogba, I've already talked about him. He's not had the best start to the season, but a very good performance coming off the bench really shifted the tide back in United's favor. And yeah, so now we move, we keep on going forward and we keep on hopefully carrying this momentum onto the weekend against Chelsea and getting another big result in the Premier League. And now speaking of the Premier League, let's just talk about the results from the past weekend. So obviously United winning 4-1 is huge. Um, huge considering we'd lost two of the first four games. Two of the first three games or four games? Two of the first three games. And the second loss was absolutely horrendous. Um, so that's good that we got back in the winning column after conceding early as well. So very good that was. Um Obviously, Liverpool and Everton, the Merseyside derby and the offside controversy. I couldn't watch it because of the 5.30 game, but last play from like what I've seen, it didn't look offside. So Liverpool did kind of get robbed of a win there. Um, And they've lost Van Dyke for a long time. It seems like Jordan Pickford committing the challenge on him. So, I mean, Liverpool got very, very lucky in terms of injuries last year and it not affecting them. And now their best defender and the best defender in the Premier League arguably is going to be injured for quite a while. So let's see how they respond. And, you know, this is, it's shaping up to be a wide open season because you had Spurs who for, you know, for a, for like 45 minutes, they look like it was going to be Spurs title to lose to Everton, you know, like up three, nothing on West Ham within the first 15 minutes. And, uh, and then, uh, three goals in, I think it was like 11 minutes. I think the first goal came in the 81st minute, second goal came in the 84th minute, an own goal. And then the tying goal came, like, I think in stoppage time or just before stoppage time. But crazy comeback there. And the tying goal was absolutely like insane. That was wonderfully struck and great goal. And you, you simply cannot script this Premier League season. The stuff that's happened. Like Everton being four and oh yeah, Villa, Villa beating Leicester off of a Ross Barkley injury time winner. They're the only team with a hundred percent record. Them being four and oh Everton being four wins and one draw and beat Liverpool and, and United both getting smashed by five goals in the same day, pretty much. And uh yeah, same day because it was on the Sunday, both teams lost. And then Spurs bottling, bottling having the unlucky penalty against Newcastle and then bottling a three nothing. 3-0 lead. Chelsea having two 3-3 ties already. City not having the best start to the season with a, a loss to Leicester and a draw to Leeds, but they, they rebounded with a good win against Arsenal 1-0. The season's wide open, then. You can't really, like, I think the title winner's going to end up with around 85 points, so it's not going to be like how it's been the past couple of seasons with City and, and Liverpool being ahead of the pack. My preseason predictions are looking terrible now, saying that those two teams are levels ahead of every other team, but, um, yeah, it's going to be crazy, man. Like, it's going to be so close. And, yeah, I, it's just – it's so fun to watch and so fun to look forward to. 
you never know what's going to happen, man. It's a prem. It's the best league in the world. Most unpredictable league in the world. One team, you, one, one week you can win 6-1. The next week you could be up 3-0 and draw 3-3 after having a 3-0 lead in the 81st minute. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be fun, man. It's, and with the return of the Champions League and fixtures, like, all the time, it's a great time to be a fan of the beautiful game. So now we will shift to probably what will end off the podcast as well. We're just going to be talking about hockey now. And I like how I said beautiful game and I turned to hockey as well. And then it's just such an ugly game, but that's another topic for later on when there's nothing to talk about in terms of actual sports. So that's on the back burner for ideas, but for now we'll talk about the draft and free agency. So draft was two weeks ago on October the 6th. Um, we're originally slated to pick 19th. We only had six picks, uh, a couple of trade downs got us two extra thirds. So we ended off with eight picks and going into the draft, and I remember I said this in my draft preview as well, I really wanted um, Seth Jarvis, Hendricks Lapierre, or Connor Zari. So obviously Seth Jarvis was a bit of a, a pipe dream. He was going to be a high teens, and we were 19th, so we're probably not going to get him. But uh, Hendricks Lapierre and Connor Zari were, you know, like serious considerations at 19. But I thought like after 19, you're probably not going to get either of them. So it comes to 19, you know, and both are there. And so we trade down, we pick up the extra third. I'm like, okay, you know, good, good trade down. We traded down 22nd. So I was, I was a bit nervous because I was like, okay, what if like one of them gets taken here by, by the Rangers, then by Jersey, then by Columbus, like, you know, if two of them go, we're not going to get either of them. And none of them go New Jersey and Columbus both like reach and swing for the fences. And then, so we're sitting there at 22. We've already picked up pick number 80. I think it was. And then we swing another trade. We trade down from 22 to 24 with oh, with Washington. We get um, pick number 72 in the process. Washington takes Hendricks lap here. And then I'm like, okay, I'm kind of shitting myself a little bit. I'm like, they took one of the guys I wanted. Now it's Connor Zari, but there's Philadelphia in between us. And then it's Calgary. So I'm sitting there, I'm sitting there. They take, uh, Philly takes Tyson Forrester. And um, I think that's his name. I hope that's his name. If I'm wrong, I mean, I doubt he'd ever be listening to this, but you never know if you are Tyson. I'm really sorry. I got your name wrong. Even if your name is Tyson, I actually don't know, but it was something they Philly took the other guy left Connor Zari for us. I'm just sitting there. I'm like, don't trade down again. Don't trade down again. Don't trade down again. We go, we take the pick Connor Zari. We got the Jersey, his family celebrating. Awesome. And, uh, Really excited with that pick. Uh, center prospect, which we badly needed. His skating is the big knock, but but you can teach skating. And what you can't teach is elite hockey sense and hard work, and that's what he has. So I was very happy we got him. And then our next pick at 50, Jan Kuznetsov. Seven, he played in the NCAA with, uh, shit, not Wisconsin. I think it was UConn. I'm not 100% sure what team he played with, but he played in the NCAA as a 17-year-old from Russia, and he, he's not an offensive guy, so his numbers aren't good. Like, his numbers aren't eye-popping, I mean, and he's more of a defensive guy, and the, the scouting report on him is a long, rangy defender with a long stick that plays the lanes well, kind of like a modern-day shutdown defenseman. If he pans out, you know, great. Um, I wanted to take Jeremy Poirier there, who is really slipping – some draft rankings had him as high as 23 and he was available at 50. So I was kind of disappointed at the time with the Kuznetsov pick, but then you fast forward to pick 73 and guess who's there? Jeremy Poirier. And guess who's smiling? Me, the top waffler. 
I'm like, damn, man, we got the best offensive defenseman in the draft at pick number 73. Now, obviously, there's a reason why he fell like 50 spots from his highest pre-draft ranking. And that's because his defense isn't the greatest. So <laughs> it's a project. But at 73, with a pick we acquired from trading down and still getting Connor Sari, you can't argue about that. So I was very happy with Jeremy Poirier pick. And like he himself in his draft interviews admitted he needs to get better on D. So when you have a player that's already recognized their weaknesses, it kind of gives you a bit more confidence that they're willing to work on it to get to the next level. But nonetheless, I'm very, very happy with Jeremy Poirier. Uh, so the next pick was Jake Boltman. He's a high school defender from Minnesota. Um, he was, I don't know if he's an overager. I don't think he was, but he was ranked like a seventh round pick, but we, and we took him in the fourth round. So probably got word that, you know, another team was looking at him and, you know, scouts probably wanted this guy badly. So they're just like, you know, what, we'll waste, we'll not waste pick. We'll use this pick on him to make sure we get him and he doesn't go to another team. And like, I don't mind that with late round picks. It's better. You do that with late round picks and early round picks. Um, from what I've read about him too, there's like a forum I post on and uh, somebody from Minnesota that has ties to the high school he went to said that this guy's built like, like a freak, like him and his brother, like athletic machines. They both played multiple sports in high school. And it's normally a good thing um, in terms of young players. It shows that they do have the athleticism. So hopefully it works out for him. There's also the really nice moment of him finding out he was drafted during his practice and his teammates mobbed him. And then after that, there's a nice video piece of his parents coming up and surprising him as well. So pretty cool. Hopefully it works out. Um, another fourth round pick. This was an overager. Uh, Daniel Chechelev, Russian goaltender playing in the MHL. Uh, his Instagram is funny, man. There's a picture of him with a ski mask on and a gun, but that's unfortunately since been deleted. But uh, luckily I got that in the screenshots. Um, <laughs> or, or I don't, can't speak on that yet. But um, yeah, so Chechelev, good goaltending pick in my opinion even though he is an overager he's still eligible for the world juniors so hopefully we see him in the world juniors with russia in december um he has started eight and oh in the mhl a goals against under one and a pretty good save percentage too i mean goal, goalies are voodoo and calgary hasn't drafted and developed a goalie in a long time so i'm not gonna like get too excited about him but uh it's you can never go wrong with having too many goalies in the system so hopefully this one works out for us um, then the, the last three picks. Uh, so Ryan Francis, he's five uh, nine, I think, or five ten. He was above a point a game or close to a point a game, and it's kind of like the way we've gone with like our sixth round picks, fifth round picks in past years. We pick these short guys that you know they're ranked there because they don't necessarily have the height, but they have the point production, they got the skill, they got the natural hockey sense. And that's the same thing with him. The knock on him, though, is skating. And for a smaller guy, you do need to be able to skate well. But um, nonetheless, it's good to take that swing there. And the I think that was a sixth round or a fifth round. Uh, yeah, fifth round, because in the sixth round, we took Rory Kennans from, from the Sioux. Same thing, you know, a bit smaller. I think he's 5'10", 5'10", center, right shot center, I believe he is. Um, just under a point a game. Again, same thing with him, you know. He's there because his size isn't the greatest, and it'll be interesting to see how his and Francis's point totals rocket up um, this year. And then the seventh round pick was a six foot two Belgian defense, no, not Belgian, Belarus defenseman um, playing in the KHL right now. He's an overager as well, I think. 
or no, he might not be. I'm not 100% sure on that. But he was playing in the OHL last year. And I think because of COVID, he stayed in Europe and is playing in the in the KHL. So you never know. Maybe as a long, rangy defenseman himself could amount to something. But it's it's just a seven-round pick. If, if they amount to anything, you take it as a win. Overall, very happy with the draft. Um, we did really well restocking our cupboards. You look at our top prospects now. You know, you got Pelche. I'm still going to count Yusuf Valamaki as a prospect. He's there. You got Connor Mackey from the NCAA. You got Ilya Nikolaev. His report's pretty good. Dustin Wolf in goaltending. Um, you got, uh, who's the other guy? Glenn Godin, Matthew Phillips. Uh, Connor Zeri now bumps that up quite a bit. Jeremy Poirier. We've, we've really done a good job restocking the cupboards here, and I hope we continue to stockpile these draft picks and start trading them away for for deadline pickups that leave, such as like Gustafsson, Forbert, Fantenberg past years. I'd rather just give our guys a shot and keep those picks and keep restocking and replenishing our cupboards. But yeah, overall, I can't complain with the draft. You know, we got Asari by trading down. With one of the picks from trading down, we got Jeremy Poirier, who who I really want to become something good. And the rest of the prospects can't complain either. So I'm very happy with that. And um, it was, yeah, the draft was pretty cool too, um, done remotely. Uh, some There were some technical difficulties, but it was pretty decent and pretty cool to watch. And hopefully we don't have to watch it again and hopefully it's in person next year. But um, yeah, can't be, couldn't be happier with the draft. That's a better way to phrase it. Really good. Um, really happy with the players we got and the way we were able to replenish our, our cupboards, which were pretty bare at one point. So now now let's shift over to um, free agency, October the 9th. So uh, free agent, man, like the NHL always hypes up their offseason and it's never as good as, as what you think it's going to be. Like I really thought it's going to be really good this year, but um, unfortunately it wasn't like, Taylor Hall didn't end up signing until I think it was the Sunday or the Monday. But uh, yeah, just like a lot of the time. And like, I think Hall signed on Sunday, Petrangelo signed on Monday. Um, I think Jacob Markstrom was the biggest guy to sign on the Friday. Could be wrong. Oh no, Tori Krug was. Tori Krug signed late Friday evening. Um, but yeah, so obviously it was different because there was no courting period. You couldn't talk to players five days beforehand. So a lot of the, but like that's just officially allegedly like, or whatever you could talk to players like behind closed doors, man. There's lots of collusion that goes on in sports that fans just have no idea about. Um, And I say this, like I have inside connections or something. I don't, but it's just a massive assumption and I'd say pretty safe assumption to make. But anyway, so we start off free agency and the whole the whole day is just us rumored to be signing Jacob Markstrom. And um very happy that we did sign him. Six times six, you know, with a full no move. And that's the price you gotta pay for an elite starting goaltender. And that's what he is, fourth in Vesna voting this past season. And he gives us something we've not had since Mika Kiprasov, a guy who can play sixty games in an eighty-two game season. And you gotta pay to get those. And you know what the way like I remember talking to talking to one of my buddies beforehand and I was just like, after seeing Leonard sign for five times five, I was kind of like, okay, Markstrom, the most I want is like 5.5 times five years. 
And then as we got closer and closer to free agency, I was like, okay, six times six, but that's it. Nothing higher than six times six. And then, um, like, I don't remember who it was. It was Thomas Drans, I think it was, the guy that's connected in Vancouver, an athletic writer. Uh, he works for the athletic. And he said that Mark Strom's contract is going to, like, be an absolute monster of a deal. And that scared the shit out of me, man. I thought it was going to be like seven, close to seven mil per. So that kind of had me tripping until the official terms were put out. No six times six with a full no move. And I was like, okay, you know what? That's, that's kind of like what I would have done as my max for him. And we got him for that. And I, I can't complain. So we'll take him. We'll take Markstrom at that, obviously. And um, took him out of the hand of the Oilers, which is really good because Edmonton really thought they had his chance to sign him. But that just goes to show us they, even with the two best players in the world, Edmonton's still shit. They can't attract free agents. People would rather come to Calgary. Calgary's much better than Edmonton. But that's enough for that rant for today. Um, so, yeah, then after that, uh, about a couple of hours later, news comes out. Um, TJ Brody signed with Toronto. And I'm not going to lie, this is like, really sad i was um pretty pretty sad about this pretty emotional got me in my feelings quite a bit and uh wasn't the best timing either i was just about to start a midterm i think i had press start on the midterm and the so my timer my two-hour timer is going off and i got the notification that it's brody to toronto and i was just like man like the worst timing but like tj brody was um Massively underrated in his time here. Massively underappreciated. He was an easy scapegoat. He had one bad season. He had, uh, like in 16-17, he wasn't even as bad as people say he was. He was carrying around the corpse of Dennis Weidman. And then post-deadline, he carried Michael Stone and was our best defender in the playoffs in that sweep that year. Um, in 17-18, him and Hamannick just did not play well. That's the only year I'd consider Brody had a bad year. And it's simply because his and Hamannick's playing style didn't match up. Um, 18-19, he was reunited with Giordano and a big part of why Giordano got the Norris. And this past season as well, he was really good for us. In my opinion, him and Rasmus Anderson were our best pl- best defenders in the regular season and in the playoffs. And I feel like we're going to miss him a lot. And for those people that you know couldn't wait to see him go or constantly blamed him for our struggles, like they're going to be the ones that notice his absence the most. And... Um, uh, like so, we then so, so we'll stick with Brody for now. Um, just massively underappreciated, massively undervalued here in Calgary. And thing is, though, he like with the style he plays, there are going to be some mistakes. And in Toronto, especially with the hockey media there, those mistakes are going to be magnified. So he is going to be. I feel like he'll, he will be a scapegoat there. It'll be easy to pick on him there too. Here it was kind of like minified a little bit. The people here, like people there compared him to like Jake Gardner or whatever. Like, no, this guy's at least like three levels ahead of Jake Gardner. You don't understand that. Brody's, Brody's a solid number two. He, he carried us in 15 to the playoffs and into the second round, carrying Derek Englund around. He was our number one that year in the absence of Mark Giordano. He's um he's a very good number two. If you have him on your second pair, you're very lucky because he is like an excellent, excellent defender. Um, this is the saddest I was have ever been about a player leaving through free agency. Obviously, the Jerome again and Nika Kiprasoff moves were were kind of um like you you knew that you knew they were gonna happen. We traded 
traded a Gimma, the rumors beforehand about it, and we're in a rebuild, so I didn't expect them to stick around. I was kind of already prepared for that with Kippersoft then retiring. And um, But this one, Brody, in, in his prime, in a time where we're supposed to be going for it, signaled by the signing of Jacob Markstrom, um, it hurt. It hurt a lot, and um, it's going to continue to hurt. Brody was a massive part of this team for the past uh, seven seasons, I think it was. He made his debut in 2011-12 before playing his first full season with us in 12-13. And um, just like, I will always appreciate what TJ Brody did while he was here. Um, I don't think he'd ever listen to this podcast anyways, because I don't know how many of you people even listen to this podcast, but Brody, if you ever do, I fucking love you, man. I appreciated the hell out of you while you played for us. And I wish you the best. And I wish your family the best in Toronto as you're closer to home now. And hopefully shit works out for you there. So later in that night, then we sign Chris Tanev. And people are upset about the signing. And I'm not going to lie. I was upset about it too. Because at the time, you're still reeling from the TJ Brody loss. And now instead, you sign Chris Tanev. And people are thinking, okay, Tanev's going to replace Brody. But that was my immediate reaction too. And you look at the point difference there and the style difference and you look at how it was a 0.5 million per year difference. Brody signed for obviously for five times four, whereas Tanev signed for four and a half times four. So you look at that and you're kind of like, okay, why didn't we sign Brody? But obviously there's decisions beyond our control. Maybe Brody didn't want to resign here after the whole trade thing last year. So, so, okay, you push that aside and you move on. And then you look at it from more of a rational point of view. Tanev is not here to replace TJ Brody. Tanev is here to replace Travis Hamanick, who had half half a good season here in three seasons. And I said this before, I love Travis Hamanick as a human being. As a player, His he was on the decline. Now, same can be argued for Chris Tanev. Chris Tanev is 30, I think 30 or 31 years old. So it could be argued he's not going to have his best seasons here. But if he can play better than what Travis Hamanick played for us, we're a better team because Tanev is that replacement. The Brody replacement comes from betting on a group of four guys to improve. And those main ones are Rasmus Anderson and Noah Hannafin. If they can improve and take steps, they're replacing a bit of what Brody did for you. Same goes for Yusuf Balamaki and for uh, Oliver Shillington if he's given the shot. If those four can can kind of improve, by committee, they replace what TJ Brody left behind here and the hole left behind by TJ Brody. So, like, looking at it from a, a more rational point of view, it's not Tanev replacing Brody. It's more committee replacement of Brody and Tanev replacing Hamannick. So, like, and a lot of Canucks fans were really upset with him leaving so i'm assuming we got a good one there and we got two former canucks uh adds to our trend of always picking teams from one player every offseason it was carolina in 2018 edmonton last year now vancouver this year but um yeah so tanev coming in and then recent signing yesterday i believe it was um we signed Joachim nordstrom he's also a buddy of lindholm and markstrom's uh they all go fishing together in the offseason so that's pretty funny that those three friends are all with us but um nordstrom Fourth line four doesn't provide much offense. Uh, great penalty killer, apparently, and um, 
a great team guy, and apparently his game elevates a lot in the playoffs. I can see him being a bit of a Garnett Hathaway type player. We kind of missed that this year. I thought Hathaway was one of the better fourth liners in the league last year, and I think he carried that on with Washington this year too. So, um, yeah, if the Nordstrom, if Nordstrom can play good fourth line minutes and kill penalties for us um, while being like an overall positive player, I'll be happy with the signing. Comes at league minimum. You can't go wrong there. So, um, yeah, we're really tied up against the cap with all these signings, though, with the Markstrom Tana signing. I think with the signing of Nordstrom, we maybe have, like, if we sign Shillington to around, because Shillington's our last RFA, if we sign him to around maybe, like, 800000 close to what he was making last year, I think we come away with just under 10000 free space in cap space, and that's forcing us to then defer bonus payments to next year, which will count against next year's cap. So, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a trade of Derek Ryan or David Riddick to free up cap space, but um, we could make this lineup work. And, you know, with a condensed season, because obviously because of coronavirus and everything like that, I think you will need two serviceable goalies. So I, I would hope we keep Riddick and I hope we keep Derek Ryan because he is a great third line option. And if you can put him on your fourth line, you're, you're looking even more golden. So just one thing before I go into um, discussing what I think the Flames will line up with next season is the Taylor Hall signing, man. This guy signed a one-year, $8 million deal with Buffalo. Buffalo. Like, why Buffalo, man? Buffalo is uh, a shit team, and Taylor Hall's only played for shit teams in his career. So you'd think the one time he – like, I get maybe the teams he wanted to go to didn't have the cap space for him, but – um. I know Columbus had space, but maybe they're protecting against the PLD offer sheet, but it's just a weird one. Um, it does mean he'll be on the market again next year, and hopefully with uh, there'll be a cap inflation next year, so more teams, specifically the Flames, can make a run at Taylor Hall because it was rumored that we were one of the teams like massively interested in him the whole time he was with New Jersey trying to trade for him, and then, and then like no news of us even approaching him, and apparently – we expressed like very vague interest. We didn't even do like a zoom meeting with him on Friday, the day of free agency. So um, yeah, but him going to Buffalo kind of weird. I mean, in my opinion, it's a win-win for Buffalo though. They, um, they show Eichel they're serious about surrounding him with talent by getting him a former heart trophy winner, first line player in Taylor hall. Um, It shows that they're trying to win, even though they might not have the roster to win right now. And worst comes to worst, if they're not a playoff team, which I don't think they will be, they can simply trade Hall at the deadline. You retain half his salary. He'll be a $4 million player at the deadline. And you trade him and you get a free first-round pick from it. And Buffalo profits like crazy off that. So smart moves by Buffalo all around. Taylor Hall a bit questionable. I mean, especially when he said he'd be willing to take less to go to a winner. But I guess maybe there wasn't enough winners around that enticed him with enough money and a better shot of winning. So Taylor Hall takes a one year, $8 million deal with Buffalo to kind of re up his value even more. And um, then take advantage, hopefully of an increasing cap next year to bank in on a better deal with a contender. And Tyson Berry did the same thing in Edmonton. I think it's a good deal for both sides. Barry's not the best defensive player, but um, he took less money, 3.75 one year to QB the Oilers power play, play with Dreisaitl and McDavid, just rack up the points and he'll be able to cash in next year. So too smart. Like Taylor Hall's one, I wouldn't say is the smartest, but Tyson, like a one like Tyson Berry is quite smart where you take a one year deal to play with really good players 
to bump up your value and then cash in when times are hopefully better. So now we'll go into the closing part of the podcast here. Um, I'm going to talk about what I would do with the Flames lineup, but what I actually think it would be. So assuming Oliver Shillington resigns, assuming we run um, 13 forward, so obviously four lines with one scratch forward and six defensemen with one scratch defenseman uh, and then the two goaltenders. So we run a 22-man roster. We, this, I think this brings us to like just under the cap by about 10,000. Um, so realistically, you can look at it and say, hold up, my throat is dry. Let me get a sip of water. All right, so we're back. Um, yeah, so realistically, you can look at it and you can keep a lot of the lines from last year the same, which is what I think they will do. But I, So if you look at the depth chart, you have 13, 23, 28. You got Gaudreau, Monaghan, Lindholm, first line. Second line, 19, 11, and 88. So you got Kachuk, Backlund, and Manjapani. Right, your third line is a third line from the playoffs, which started really good but kind of fizzled a bit towards the end of the Dallas series of Luch, Bennett, and Dubes. Um, fourth line looking different because of the signing, so it'd be uh, Joachim Nordstrom, Derek Ryan, and Glenn Godden. And then your extra forward uh, could either be Buddy Robinson or Zach Ronaldo. They're both running on 700k salaries next year, so. I mean, Ronaldo's loved in the room, so it'd probably be him, but I'd prefer if it was Buddy Robinson instead. Um, so the defensive lineup would then be Giordano and Raz. Um, second pairing would be Hannafin and Tanev. Third pairing, assuming Shillington signs and we don't trade trade him or sign another depth defender, it'd be Valamaki and Shillington. With the seventh defender probably being Alex Petrovic because he signed to a minimum 700k contract and you just want a guy that'd be a healthy scratch there instead of bringing up a younger guy like Connor Mackey to just have him sit in the press box so I think that'd be that and then Jacob Markstrom and David Riddick so that's the depth charts if you look at it from a realistic point of view but now let's look at it from my point of view and this is going to be a lot of waffle because I'm about to say shit that's not going to make sense and some of you that actually understand hockey might think I'm an idiot. But I think, so if you look at it this way, our first line is actually Kachuk, Manjapani, and Backlund. They play the most even strength minutes. They match up against the top players from the other team. So that's your first line. You stick with that line. You don't break that line up. That line is so good, 5v5. You don't break them up because they play against top players, but they still produce positive results for you. Now, now comes the roster tinkering. And I would separate Gaudreau from Monaghan simply because it, it's not worked for the last one and a half years. Like Gaudreau and Monaghan had their worst years of their career last year and they've both had really bad playoffs. I don't care what Monaghan's point totals and Gaudreau's point totals in the playoffs say. They were both bad. Like 5v5, neither of them produced. Um, and it's partly due to coaching usage as well. They were used more of a defensive line than more defensive zone starts and they were used as a dump and chase line instead of carrying the puck in. So that's a bit of, that's hopefully something we can fix up in training camp if they are still stuck together. But I would, I would move them apart. Instead, I would make, and this isn't, this is this line I wrote down second, but it's not your second line. Like these next two lines would approximately get the same amount of playing time 5v5. They'd be like maybe a minute less than the actual first line of Backlund, Manjapani, and Kachuk. So I'd stick Dylan Dubé on the left wing with Sean Monaghan and Elias Lindholm simply because Monaghan doesn't like to carry the puck in. He dumps the puck in. Okay, he dumps it in. You need a winger that's tenacious on the forecheck. That's Dylan Dubé. 
And Elias Lindholm stays as the 200-foot presence on that line, making sure that defensively they're good and he's still there offensively. And both Monaghan and Lindholm can shoot. Dylan Dubé, you better get your passing up, man. Because if you're playing with these two, you got to find them and hopefully they put the puck in the back of the net. It'll be a dump and chase if that's the tactic for this line. Dylan Dubé will be hard on the forecheck, getting pucks back, and Monaghan will go to the slot. And Dubé can carry the puck across the line too. And he has speed. That's something that he has a lot more speed than Gaudreau does. So that's something that helps Monaghan and Lindholm a lot more defensively and a lot more on the forecheck. Because when they revert, when they, um, what's the term I'm looking for here? When they revert to um, Gaudreau carrying the puck in on that line, he gets targeted and Monaghan and Lindholm aren't fast enough to keep up with him. And so it'd be the same problem essentially with Dubé, but that's where playing dump and chase comes into play here. Um, so yeah, I'd stick Dubé on the left with Monaghan and Lindholm. Then the quote-unquote third line, but the actual like two-way line, this would be the line that you kind of feed offensive zone starts to. It would be Johnny Gaudreau, Derek Ryan, and Sam Bennett. So initially I had Sam Bennett centering this line but there wasn't another suitable winger to play with these two if I moved Dubé up. So that's why I, instead I moved Derek Ryan up from fourth line shutdown center to third line offensive zone center because Derek Ryan's a smart player. Derek Ryan's a really smart player. He can play with he can play with good players. He can play with Johnny Gaudreau. Um, he's a good passer. Um, he's not the best shot, but he he's a smart player. He's in the right spots. And I feel like Sam Bennett here, Sam Bennett's, in my opinion, played his best hockey when he's at center ice. So putting him at the right wing here isn't the best idea, but it gives him talented line mates such as Gaudreau and Ryan. And I think playing with Gaudreau, you can see Sam Bennett maybe put up 40 points, 20-20. And if he can do a 20-20 on the third line for two and a half million, you're looking at really good found value there. And Bennett also provides a little bit of security because Bennett's Bennett takes no shits from anybody. And if somebody goes after Gaudreau, Bennett's on that line, he's not going to have any of it. So, and I, I really want to see Bennett play with Johnny Gaudreau. Um, I used to make fun of Sam Bennett fanboys for saying stupid stuff of him, but after seeing the way he plays and the way our actual top players shrivel up in the playoffs, you got to, you got to reward Sam Bennett for his hard work in the playoffs and see, just give him like a 10 game shot in the regular season. See if this works. Um, fourth line, I'd say Lucic, Glenn Gottenen at center, and then Joachim Nordstrom. Uh, Lucic worked well with Bennett and Dubé, but if you want to split Gaudreau and Monahan apart, you got to demote Lucic down to the fourth line, and I think he could still play well with Glenn Gottenen and Nordstrom. Um, so that's what I would do on offense, and then again with Robinson or Zach Ronaldo as the extra forward. Um, on defense, I would trans because um, everybody saw Giordano slowing down a lot last year. He took a step back. I'd transition Giordano from the first pair to a bit of a 1B and instead try and make your 1A pairing uh, Noah Hannafin and Rasmus Anderson. Noah Hannafin played his best hockey last year when he was par- partnered with Ras, and Ras took massive steps forward last season. So it'd be nice to see him continue to take steps forward. And then for the other two pairings, this is kind of where things look a little bit shaky. You wouldn't have a conventional top four. You would have a mix here. So I would play Mark Giordano with Oliver Shillington, strictly because I see Shillington as kind of a little bit of a TJ Brody in my opinion. 
and Giordano played his best hockey of his career when partnered with TJ Brody. So if you partner him with a bit of a TJ Brody light, it also, first of all, gives Shillington confidence that he can kind of roam around as a rover and he'll have, he'll have the captain, you know, a Norris Trophy winner back there to support him. And it'll also play Mark Giordano with somebody who, a playing style who he's comfort, comfortable with. One similar to Brody of a left shot that's played on the right side. Because I don't know if many of you know this that watch the Flames or not, but Oliver Shillington growing up all his life was a left-hand shot playing the right right side on defense. It was um, Ryan Huska, our, at one point our AHL head coach, who's now our assistant coach in charge of the defenseman, that forced Shillington to play his left side and it took him a while to get accustomed to playing his natural side. So I'd say... Giordano and Shillington and then Valimaki and Tanev and the reason I say Valimaki and Tanev is because Tanev just came from Vancouver his partner in Vancouver this past season Quinn Hughes you saw how good Quinn Hughes is if Tanev can be that same partner to Yusuf Valimaki who's killing it in the Finnish league right now I think seven games in he has eight points and if if that can kind of blossom into a pairing and then you know like late in games when you got to protect a lead put Giordano and Tanev together maybe bench Valimaki and Shillington or don't play them as much but you know what I mean just run a fluid flexible lineup because you don't need to run a top four that say eat 20 top four of two pairings that eat 20 minutes each and then leaving your third pairing like 12 minutes when you've got kids on that line why not show your kids show your rookies that you're you're willing to trust them you're willing to trust Shillington and Valimaki to play with veteran players to help them succeed. And then the same thing, run Alex Petrovic or another $700,000 player as your seventh defenseman on Mark Sherman Riddick in that. I mean, I doubt we see my lineup, but I hope we mix up the lines because um, Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And that's what we're kind of doing with our lineups here. So, um, yeah, like, even if, like, try it out in preseason because we never we never change it up. Uh, I'd try it out in preseason. I'd at least, like, run lines for more than two periods because that seems to be all we do when we when we change the lineups. I, I'd try to, like, run these lines for, like, five, ten games to see if chemistry could be developed and see if it does make us better because I think spreading the wealth does make us better. But, I mean, I'm not a coach, right, so I'm not 100% sure. And, um yeah, I hope we see something different. I hope we don't just run the same four lines from last year. But regardless, I'm going to be cheering no matter what because I got no life and I love being let down by the Calgary Flames. But yeah, so that's this week's episode done then, I guess. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed. Um, next week, I'm not sure, might have a guest on uh, depending on how schedules align or definitely sometime in November there will be two episodes with guests on I'm hoping for so if not the next week we'll talk about some other stuff we'll always find something to talk about but until then um you know the usual uh top offers podcast on Instagram Spotify and Apple Podcasts. yeah that's the other one um last episode went crazy partly because of the fact that I had three guests on here but um I don't expect the rest of them to to go as off as they did but um seeing support like that is um really cool really awesome i'd appreciate it if you can share this around you know just push it out there a bit seeing the numbers go up I, like i don't do this for the numbers i do this just to express my opinions but definitely seeing the numbers and seeing people actually listening to it 
provides me motivation to keep on going and keep on doing it. And, you know, the usual, if you like, if you want to feature on an upcoming episode, just message me and we can try and figure something out. Or if you, if you don't like what I said, or you, you uh, have differing opinions, you know, message me, we can debate and we can talk about sports, but um, until the next episode, I will see you guys then. Goodbye.